Hey there, this is the Evolution Sermon Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We hope that our message makes your week a bit more awesome. See you in church. So, PC tells me that one of your focus this year is the Bible. Yay, my favorite thing in the world. Woohoo! Alright, so what we're going to do today is to spend some time to allow you to experience the Bible, okay? To immerse yourself in God's story uh, and allow the uh, God's story to come into your heart and transform you from the inside out, alright? We want to engage with Scripture using your imagination, alright? I know that the evolution is full of creative people, so like overwhelmingly number of creative people and full of intellectuals, uh, you know, storytellers and scholars. Uh, so I think I'm hoping that this practice will be helpful for you guys. Um, I think that all of us are, are made, okay, and if you are like me and you don't feel like you're very creative, I'm like, I'm like, oh, like there's something missing in me. Uh, I just want to tell you that that's not true, okay? Because we are all made in the image of a creative God. Amen. And so that means that within each of us is actually the ability to be creative also. Maybe we just haven't tapped into it yet. Maybe our education system stifles it. I don't know. Uh, Not my education system when I was younger. Uh, But but we want to engage that. We want to use our imagination and tap into the aspect of ourselves created in the image of a creative God. All right? So today, we will engage with the story in... Luke chapter 7, verse 36 to 50. You don't have to turn to it yet because we are going to imagine it together. This is the story uh, of the woman who washes Jesus' feet with her tears and with perfume. Okay, so what we're going to do is I'm going to lead you through a very simple exercise where you will imagine yourselves as part of the story. Okay, so um, later, not now, later I will ask you to close your eyes. Okay, and then you just relax. Take a deep breath because everything's crazy now. So we're going to relax. Um, and I will read the passage of Scripture slowly. Uh, I read the story once through. And as I read, I want you to open your imagination. Right? Imagine the scene. Imagine what's going on. Uh, imagine that you are right there in that room with Jesus and with all the people. And uh, you try to engage your five senses. What do you see? What do you hear? What do you smell? Do you taste anything? What do you touch? And then, of course, your emotions. What feelings are coming up for you? Okay? Uh, and notice your feelings. Are there any desires? Or are you fearful? Or does something about this story make you feel uncomfortable? Just take notice of all these things, okay? So I'll do that one time. Give you some time to experience that. And then I will do it again. I'll read the passage of scripture a second time just to give you another opportunity to let the story sink in. Can? So we'll do this. Uh, How many of you have done something like this before? Okay, cool. So it'll be a new experience for some of you. Do not be afraid. (laughs) I know sometimes new things are like, I don't know how to do. Will I be able to? Okay, don't worry, all right? We just try it together. I will provide instructions and then you just follow the sound of my voice. So let's get comfortable. You can uh, put down your stuff. But not too comfortable that you fall asleep, all right? Comfortable enough for you to be fully in the story. Okay, let's close our eyes and take a few deep breaths. 
us begin with a prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. Please speak to us today. Jesus, help us to encounter you in your story. Holy Spirit, would you open our minds and our hearts to receive from you. Amen. Now I will read Luke chapter 7, verse 36 to 50. And as I read, open your imagination. Visualize the sights, the sounds, the tastes, the smells, and the feelings. Now one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And Jesus went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. Now there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. Having learned that Jesus was eating in this Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of ointment. She stood behind Jesus at his feet, weeping. And she began to bathe his feet with her tears and to dry them with her hair. Then she continued kissing his feet and anointing them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. Jesus spoke up and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Simon replied, Teacher, speak. And Jesus said, A certain creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he cancelled the debts for both of them. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he cancelled the greater debt. And Jesus said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, Jesus said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has bathed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed me with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which were many, have been forgiven. Hence, she has shown great love. But the one to whom little is forgiven loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. But those who were at the table with him began to say amongst themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let us spend a few moments in silence and reflection. What did you notice about this story and what stood out to you?
Now I will read the story again. But this time I want you to imagine yourself as one of the characters in the story. Okay, you can pick any character that your mind and your heart draws you to. Now one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And Jesus went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. Now there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. Having learned that Jesus was eating in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of ointment. She stood behind Jesus at his feet, weeping, and began to bathe his feet with her tears and to dry them with her hair. Then she continued kissing his feet and anointing them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. Jesus spoke up and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Simon replied, Teacher, speak. And Jesus said, A certain creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he cancelled the debts for both of them. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he cancelled the greater debt. And Jesus said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, Jesus said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has bathed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which were many, have been forgiven. Hence she has shown great love. But the one to whom little is forgiven, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. But those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let us spend a few more moments in silence. Which character did you identify with the most and why? What feelings came up for you?
Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for letting us be a part of your story. We ask that you continue to speak to us through your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, wake up. (laughs) Welcome back. All right. So how was that experience for you? Very relaxing. (laughs) I'm hoping this is an alternative for you uh, as you learn to engage with scripture. It's a very simple way, you know, just to hear and to imagine and to visualize. Um, It's great. I love it. And uh, now you know a lot of the Bible apps, they actually read to you in a relatively soothing voice also. (laughs) So you can play, you know, and then do that in your own uh, quiet times as well. All right. So let's take a poll. The old school way, because I'm not so high tech to like get you to sign into some website or whatever. You just raise your hand, okay? <laughs> Traditional style, all right? Let's take a poll. Which character did you identify with the most? Or um, which character did you imagine yourself as? You know, in the second time, ask you to imagine, right? Uh, did you have any one that you imagine yourself as? Um, I just want to say there's no right or wrong answer. It's not like everybody must raise hand at Jesus, okay? No, 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 no. Uh, because uh, I have nev- this ha- that has never happened to me in this story. It has always either been uh, A, B or D for me. Uh, different, p- different people at different times in my life. So there's no right or wrong answer. In each character, there is a lesson to be learned for each of us. I'm not going to stand here and like, A, P, C, B, C. You see, this person is Simon the Pharisee. Uh. Better go and do a uh, discipleship. No, okay? No need, uh, no worries. Uh, quite often, I am I identify with Simon the Pharisee just because I'm super judgmental. I'm also an academic, which means like the Pharisees, I like to study religious scriptures and stuff. So a lot of times I identify with Simon and like, <laughs> there's a lesson there for me. All right. Okay. So, and it's okay if there's, there was no one as well. Um, I'll have a category E others. <laughs> and then you can raise your hand as all right. Okay, let's take a poll. All right, which character did you identify with the most? Simon the Pharisee, raise your hand. Cool, cool, cool. Next, the unnamed woman. Raise your hand. Great, Jesus. Wow, of course, of course, PC. She's a better person than me. No lah, no lah. There is no right or wrong answer, okay? Jesus, cool, cool, cool. Uh, anyone identify with a bystander or a person in the crowd? One of the other guests in the... Okay, okay, how about none of the above? None of the above? No? Okay, cool. So yeah, different people identify with uh, different characters in the story. And I think, you know, as we go through the sermon, you can think about that. Uh, What might God be trying to say to you in this? Maybe you feel this way. uh, or Maybe you are seeing someone else who feels this way. And yeah, just think about that. God can guide you through this, all right? All right, so we're just going to jump in to the scripture And uh, I want to point out some really important things about this story. Uh, And what this woman does, right, this unnamed woman, she has no name. So it's going to be a tongue twister for me to (laughs) refer to her. The unnamed woman, uh, what she does is very remarkable and very, very brave uh, for a few reasons. One of it is that the value of her sacrifice is great. It's very, very big. All right, this jar of ointment, the jar of perfume, okay, is very valuable and she breaks it, right? She gives every single drop of that perfume to Jesus. Now, this is not some like $50 bottle that you can buy with like a day's uh, worth of wages. This is something that you save for years to buy. And so the, the, the extent, the extravagance of her sacrifice 
is amazing and that's truly remarkable. All right, but in order to appreciate even more how amazing this sacrifice is, um, I think we need to realize that there are some very insidious uh, power dynamics at play here. Okay, this is a woman who was marginalized and outcasted in society. Simon calls her a sinner. Okay, so because of her lifestyle or perhaps because of certain choices and actions she has made in her past, people label her as a sinner. Now, the version I read just now is NRSV, New Revised Standard Version. But in some versions, it actually says that this woman is a woman who is known throughout the city as a sinner. Means the whole city knows and calls her a sinner. Alright, so she's outcasted in society and she walks into this house full of people who are quite likely the reason for her being an outcast. Alright, because this is Simon the Pharisee's house. Do you know what Pharisees do? Right, they're religious leaders, they study the law and they have very strict rules about what is good and what is bad and what is clean and what is unclean and as a result, who is in and who is out. Okay, so Pharisees... Tend, tend to be the ones who enforce these standards on their com community. They decide who is in and who is out. And so quite likely, this woman, uh, I mean, she's not quite likely, she's clearly out, right? They call her a sinner. They do not invite her to parties. When she comes into the room, people are like, you know, they do not want to be near her. So in this room, she is a very, she's an outcast in a room full of powerful people who are the reason that she is an outcast in the first place. All right? And of course, there is a very strong and suffocating environment of shame. All right? And I just want to take a bit of time to share a bit of uh, my definition of shame. And I just want to start by clarifying the difference between guilt and shame. All right? Guilt is the feeling that I have done something bad. Well, shame is the feeling that I am bad. So I have done something bad, a behavior and action, versus I am bad, which is a question of identity and value. All right? So guilt, guilt can be helpful because uh, when we recognize that we have done something wrong, that sometimes can motivate us to change our behavior, right? We were like, oops, I did something bad, so I need to apologize. I need to make amends. I will change and be better. So guilt can be helpful. Shame, on the other hand, is not helpful, okay? It actually paralyzes you because it attacks your self-worth and your value. You feel, I am bad. I am not enough. I don't belong here. I am not good. Therefore, if I'm not good, then there's no point changing, because I'm not good enough to change, right? So shame often paralyzes us um, and it makes us believe that we are somehow not good enough. Now in this story, this is what Simon the Pharisee says. All right, let's read it together. One, two, go. This man... That she is a sinner... So does this sound more like guilt or shame? Yeah, she is a sinner, right? She is a sinner, not that she has done sinful things, but she is a sinner. So he makes a judgment on her value. Um, and that's a classic example of shame culture. Uh, and, and shame is a burden that 
unfortunately, all of us bear, whether you realize it or not. Uh, it's in our culture. It's in our system. We live it. We breathe it. We bear it. Sometimes we pass it on to others. Um, and, and that's tough. It's tough. But this story shows us that we do not need to be defined by shame. And actually gives us several different ways in which we can respond in this culture of shame, all right? So we're going to take a closer look at some of the characters in the story. Maybe here is where you can think about, hmm, I wonder if this applies to me or not. Okay, take a closer look at the characters and see how they respond in this culture of shame. And the first one is Simon the Pharisee. These are some key elements in a shame culture. Right, this story, it happens in Simon's house. He's a Pharisee, so this dude is like powerful and uh, he has a lot of powerful friends and he invites a bunch of his friends to come over to his house and hang out with him and Jesus and they're like, yeah, bro, bro, yeah, bro, bro. You know, all the bros in their bros club, right? So they're having dinner together and then suddenly a woman walks into the room and this woman is not invited and I guess if you're not invited, it's still okay, right? Like if someone, if it's a friend and you walk in, they would welcome her. But uh, not only is she not invited, she's also not welcome. And she walks in and Simon does three things, three things that are very common in a shame culture. And I'm going to go through them. And I have a feeling that some of you will be very familiar with this because all of us live in a shame culture. I'm sure all of us have experienced this at some point in our lives. So this is going to be a little bit uncomfortable. And you might be like, Pastor, I just experienced this last week. As I did, I'll share my story later. But it's like, um, it's not easy. And this might, talking about shame is hard. But we're going to do it anyway. Uh, just be prepared. Okay, everybody? Yeah. Take a deep breath. This is a safe space, okay? <laughs> We're going to talk about shame together and learn together. Okay, so the first thing that happens is labeling, right? We talked about this just now. Um, Simon labels her, this woman is a sinner. And this is a very common thing we do in shame culture. We create negative labels. We create boxes and we force people into these boxes as if this is the only thing that gives them their identity, Right? Recently, I heard a lot of people say, oh, your China people are all like that. Wuhan people are all like that. This is very shaming. It's ridiculous. Like PC says, she's so brave to say that. But yeah, we, we put labels. Uh, not just in this recent crisis, right? It happens all the time. Like this person is from this school. Therefore, they're like that. This person lives in this neighborhood, Ishun. Therefore, they're like that, you know? <laughs> right? We put people into boxes. Sometimes it's funny. Uh, sometimes it's not like, I don't know how people in Ishun actually feel. Who lives in Ishun? Ayo! Okay, okay, that was a joke. But I'm sure y'all can think of more labels in which we tend to force people into boxes, thinking that this therefore defines completely who they are. So, this label, this woman is labeled as sinner. And that's all that Simon sees in her, that she's a sinner. All right, the second thing that happens is secrecy, right? Shame loves hiding in dark places because the dark places are where shame can grow because you don't talk about it. You don't bring it out into the light. And then shame is like, ha ha, now I will spread. And then it grows and grows and grows. So secrecy, right? And if you notice, um, the passage that we read tells us that Simon sees what this woman is doing for Jesus. And what does he do? He says to himself, I can imagine him 
standing in the corner, judging, muttering under his breath, right? Secret thoughts, whispered conversations, probably nudging his friend like, eh, 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 you know? Right? This woman is a sinner. Why is she touching him? And why is Jesus letting her touch him? Right? It's a whispered conversation, secrecy. The last thing that Simon does is to create this thing that I like to call a shame bubble. Okay, this is not a scientific term. If you Google it, it probably will not appear. <laughs> or maybe it does, I don't know. I don't know if any researchers or psychologists have used this term. But it's a term, so don't, don't go and tell everybody, hey, you know, I learned in church about the shame bubble. Uh, maybe, uh, yeah, maybe we need to define it a bit more first. Uh, but it's just a fun term that I like to use to talk about something that is a little bit difficult to talk about, the shame bubble. Okay, the shame bubble is a defense mechanism. Right, when we are in situations when we are uncomfortable and we feel like shame is about to reach us, then what we do is we quickly shame other people first. Okay, so when we feel like shame is coming upon us, we quickly react by shaming others first, thinking that if we do that, then we push them into the shame bubble and we are out of that bubble. So shame cannot touch us. Okay, so now, imagine how Simon feels when he sees this woman coming in and then she's honouring Jesus, right? By washing his feet, um, pouring this really expensive perfume that fills the whole house with the scent. So everybody's like looking, right? Because the smell is permeating. So they're like, what's happening? So everybody is watching this woman honour Jesus. And in contrast, Simon, what did he do? Ah? He did nothing, right? Jesus said that I came in, you didn't even give me water. You didn't even kiss me, which means you didn't even greet me. You didn't acknowledge me. So Simon is now looking like a very bad host, right? It's like she is making him look bad. So I imagine that in order to defend himself, he creates a shame bubble around this woman. Instead of having the shame reach him, he's like, oh, oh, look, 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 it's the sinner. Right, so quickly label her, quickly push her into the shame bubble so that everybody will now look at her with disdain in their eyes rather than looking at him. And that's not all. This Simon is a master shame bubble creator, right? He pushes more people into the shame bubble with her. He says about Jesus, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him. So in other words, either Jesus knows that this woman is a sinner and still allows her to touch him, which is scandalous in those days, or Jesus doesn't know that this woman is a sinner, which means he's not a prophet, right? So Simon begins to cast doubt on Jesus' character also and like push Jesus into the shame bubble with her. And that's what we do in the shame culture. We try to defend ourselves by pushing as many people as we can into the shame bubble, hoping that we ourselves can somehow be protected from it. Now, do any of these things sound familiar to you? Okay, it's like super familiar in my life. <laughs> the shame culture is really strong in Singapore and we are all both victims and perpetrators of this destructive culture. All right? Because Simon, as much as I am like giving him a bad rap, he was a victim of a shame culture and he was just passing it on as most of us are today. 
whether we know it or not, right? So in Singapore, um, we just celebrated Chinese New Year, right? And just now we had a great conversation about it. How many of you enjoyed your Chinese New Year? Oh. <laughs> Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, PC and I have had a lot of conversations about this. So actually, how many of you know um, that being single and over 30 during Chinese New Year is not the best experience ever? <laughs> Maybe not many of you are over 30, but coming soon, huh? Okay. <laughs> yeah, so I'm single and over 30. Uh, and so Chinese New Year isn't always easy. But um, actually, okay. Since this is on IG Live, in case my mum is watching, uh, um, no, okay, no, it is in my script. <laughs> I actually have a very loving and inclusive family, both immediate and extended. Some of you have met my parents. Um, they are great. They are very good at giving me and my siblings space to be whoever we are and whoever God calls us to be. So even if I'm not married, they're like, cool. Just do what God is calling you to do. That's fine. Um, and my extended family is getting so much better. So praise the Lord. Uh, yeah, I used to get comments. A lot of comments about your marital status, your grades in school, your job, um, whether you got bonus or not, my body, all kinds of things, right? Like I used to get that a lot. Um, but in the past few years, some of the adults from my parents' generation have actually been defending us. Yeah. So if an auntie or uncle, um, yeah, actually it quite balances out between aunties and uncles, so it's not a gender thing, okay? Um, whenever an auntie or uncle says something inappropriate, another adult will be like, hey, you shouldn't say that, you know, and this is why. And so things in my extended family have been getting so much better too. Um, and it's been a pretty safe environment. So I was actually really looking forward to Chinese New Year. I really love being with my family, um, even my extended family. Um, but so I was a little bit caught off guard, actually. I wasn't prepared uh, when one of my grand aunties, whom we don't see very often, so it's like extended, extended family, uh, she said some very hurtful comments. Okay, now so I was trying to be helpful to remove some stuff from the chair so that more people can sit. And then she turned to me and then she looked at me and she said very loudly because she's a bit deaf. She said, wow, you're very fat, ah. I know, gosh. Right, so horrible. And then she turned to the people around her. And then she was like, huh? Yeah, right, right. And then I was like a little bit stunned, like holding the stuff like, oh, okay. And then like another distant auntie, again, not, ex not my extended family, my extended, extended family. She, she, she was there and she said like, oh, is that why you don't have a husband? She's like... <laughs> Like super not cool, eh? you know. Like I was like thinking, is this because I need to preach at the evolution so you give me the ultimate shaming experience so I can share with them? <laughs> it's okay, guys. Even your greatest pain can be used for God's glory. <laughs> but okay, so I was like cool, 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 and actually not cool, not cool, not cool. Um, and so, I mean, I mean, I feel you. If you guys have had such experiences, I'm sorry. I feel you. You're my brother and my sister. It's okay. We cry together later, okay? Um, yeah. We're all victims of the shame culture. So I was like... Uh, yeah, no, no. I didn't know what to say. Um, yeah, it was just like a really awkward situation. <laughs> and like, I wanted to say something to like dissolve this to be like, no. You know, like, I don't know, to say something to, to make everything okay. But I am 
really not good at this kind of situations. I'm not good when I'm put on the spot. And I'm also not an angel. Uh, so I totally perpetuated the shame culture, right? So because I'm, I'm not always the best version of myself when I'm caught off guard. So what I did was the, do I have it? Oh yes, this labeling, secrecy, shame bubble, I did all of those things. So when she said, when these two ladies said these things to me, I was like, I roll my eyes at them. Okay, like I literally like look at them and roll my eyes and I walk away and I went to find my cousins and I said, hey, these two aunties are so horrible. They were talking bad about me and they said all these things, it must be because they are not Christian. I know, I know, I know. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> I do feel guilty about it. But anyway, I was just, I was so upset. So I went and created a shame bubble for them and pushed them into it together with my cousins. And then we were like gossiping about these two people because, I mean, they were not nice to me, which means they were not nice to a lot of people also. Lah. So we were like gossiping about them. And I'm like, Ugh! As I'm preparing for this sermon, I'm like, oh no, shame, it surrounds us like a fog and we breathe it in, whether you recognize it or not, right? You, you just, it becomes a part of who we are sometimes. And if we don't make intentional steps to break the cycle and respond differently, then we just perpetuate the shame culture over and over and over and nobody wins. Now, thankfully, the Bible has something to say about this. And the story we are reading today shows us an alternative, a different way that we can be. How we can respond if we are the ones who are subjected to shame and how we can respond if we see others being shamed. So let's talk about some hopeful stuff now, okay? How to respond when you are subjected to shame personified for us in this unnamed woman. Now, this woman, she has been shamed all her life, right? She's known throughout the city as a sinner. And then she walks into a room full of people and they want to keep her down. They want to step, continue stepping on her as they've always done, right? And in this environment, this brave woman, she takes matters into her own hands and she makes some very, very brave choices, um, and I'm hoping that these choices can inspire those of us who feel the weight of shame uh, very heavily upon us. Yeah. All right? And the first thing that she did, first thing we can do is to stand your ground. Now, this is great advice that PC gave to me <laughs> just a few days ago, actually, when I was texting her and I had a moment of doubt about my abilities. I was like, I cannot do this. And then she's like, no, stand your ground. It's like, okay, okay, I will. <laughs> Y'all have a great pastor. I just want to say, amazing pastor, right? Woo, woo, woo. Okay, stand your ground, right? This brave woman decided that, sure, even if you don't invite me, even if you don't welcome me, I am going to show up. I will show up at this dinner party even though I am not welcome. I will take up my space. You will not exclude me. So you can make a choice. If people decide to shame you, you can decide, I will not be shamed. And the second thing is that she knew who she was. Right? Know who you are and own your story. Now, this woman, she's not naive or delusional. She knows. She knows she has done sinful things, right? She's not like, I'm an angel. She knows. That's why she walked into the room and she started crying, right? She cried because she knew she had done wrong in the past. Um, and, and that's guilt. Guilt is normal, right? But she also knew 
that she was more than what they said she was. Right? She's more than a sinner. Yes, she has done sinful things, but she also knows that she is forgiven. And that is what gives her courage, that she knows who she is, she owns her story, she walks into the room, and she does not let them define her. Be courageous. I tell you this woman, I will keep saying this, she is brave. Right? Imagine, I mean, I, I'm just imagining that before this whole story happens, right, she's out in the city um, and she hears that Jesus is going to be at Simon's house. And so she's thinking to herself, okay, well, this is my chance, right? This is my chance to honour the person who has set me free. Right? And I will do what I know is right, even though I'm not invited and not welcome. And even though to others, what she does actually looks like an act of weakness, right? She's going there and she's crying. She's washing his feet with her hair. She's giving up this expensive bottle of perfume. People are going to be like, what are you doing? It's like, why are you crying? Why are you so weak? Right? But she knows that that's not the case. Right? She knows that, yes, this is a vulnerable act to be able to kneel down and do this vulnerable thing in front of so many people in power. But vulnerability is not weakness, man. Vulnerability is strength and courage. And it's so amazing and actually so smart because vulnerability is actually one of the things that can break the power of shame. Right? It's like saying, you can shame me, but I will not shame you back. Because that's not what I do, right? So I was thinking about my traumatic Chinese New Year experience. And I was thinking, what is the courageous and vulnerable thing to do? And honestly, I don't really know. But I was thinking that rather than rolling my eyes and turning away and gossiping about them as if they are not human, what would have been the right thing to do was maybe to turn towards the people who seek to shape me and show kindness and compassion to them. Because if I think about it, like what kind of hurt and pain have they felt in their lives for them to lash out at someone they haven't seen for two years in this way? Like that's literally the first thing you say to me, right? So if I can turn to them with kindness and compassion, um, talk to them, engage with them, and let them know that I am so much more than my marital status or the size and shape of my body, to engage with them. Now, I don't know if that was the right thing to do or if that would have made things worse because I wasn't brave enough to try it. Um, But that's okay. I do truly believe that when someone comes to you and attempts to use their power to shame you, uh, responding likewise in shame is not going to make things better, right? But responding with empathy, with courage, with vulnerability, that's what breaks the cycle. And now we look at Jesus. When we want to learn about how to respond when you see others being shaped. Now in this story, there are actually two groups of people, right? There's Jesus um, and then there's the other guests in the house. Uh, in terms of the people who are witnessing what's going on between Simon and the woman, there's Jesus and everybody else, right? The other guests in the house, more or less, what do they do? Nothing, okay? 
that's, that's why, okay, it's not a trick question. They do nothing. They stay silent. Um, and honestly, I don't blame them because sometimes it feels easier and safer to hide uh, when these things are happening. Because like if you expose yourself and say, ah, it will, then suddenly you become the subject of shame or so. Uh, so maybe they thought it's better to hide. Uh, but a little bit later in the story, sometimes, some of them do say some stuff uh, in an attempt to also question Jesus' credibility. So that's what they do. They either stay silent or they join in the shaming. Um, but obviously as Christians, we don't look to these people as our examples. We look to Jesus as our example. And this is what he does when he sees what is happening. The first thing he does is speak up. All right? When Simon mutters to himself, he's like, shh, shh, this woman is a sinner. Jesus. Shh, shh. In verse 40, it literally says, Jesus spoke Jesus spoke up and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Right, and that's the difference. You know, remember Simon was like mumbling and muttering to himself in this secret dark place, the dark place where shame grows. And in contrast to that, Jesus is like, nope, no secrets here. I'm going to speak up loud and clear. No hiding, no pretense, no secrets. Loud and clear, I'm going to call you out. Simon, I have something to say to you. It's like a bright light that pierces through the darkness of shame. And Jesus spoke up to defend the one who was shamed. And it's also really interesting to note the way in which Jesus speaks up. Right? What he does is he actually tells a story. And I'm like, wow, smarts, yeah? Right? Because he, rather than just saying like, you shouldn't shame this woman, right? He tells a story about some abstract like thing about debtors and creditors. And I think that perhaps this is done in an attempt to help Simon to see beyond his prejudice. And perhaps to develop understanding and maybe even empathy. So if you can understand what I mean when I say this story, then maybe you can understand what it means to be this woman. Speak up. Now, Jesus also rejected shameful labels, just like the woman, he's not naive or delusional. So he knows that this woman has done wrong, wrong things, right? He doesn't say like, she's an angel, she's perfect. No. In verse 47, Jesus acknowledges that yes, her sins are many. But in that very same sentence, Jesus also says, they have all been forgiven. And so the emphasis is not on her as a sinner. He never calls her a sinner. The emphasis is on the fact that she has been forgiven. And because she has been forgiven much, therefore, she loves much. And therefore, her faith is what saves her. And so he rejects the label of sinner and gives her new names. A woman forgiven much, who loves much, who is saved. And the last thing that Jesus does, which I really, really love, right? In verse 44, he says to Simon, do you see this woman? Do you actually see her for all that she is? Do you see all the things that she, are, that she is or just one side of the story? Right? Do you see this woman? Do you see all that she has done to honour me from the moment I step into this house? Do you see all the good things that she has done? And the truth is that Simon didn't see. 
Right? All he saw is one side of the story. And we all know that human beings are not one-dimensional. We don't only have a single story. We have so many stories and so many experiences that make us who we are. We are all made up of so many parts. And when we only focus on one of the shameful or sinful aspects of a human being, we're actually doing this person a great disservice, right? We have a responsibility to reject that shameful label and see the full story. And that is why I love what a lot of Christians have been standing up to say about the coronavirus, that for a while, we were calling it the Wuhan virus, right? Um, but we don't do that anymore. Why? Because when you do that, you are labeling Wuhan with a single story. You are labeling the people of Wuhan with a single story. And that's not true. The city of Wuhan is more than just a virus. The people of Wuhan are more than just sick and infected people. And they are certainly not all barbarians who always eat bats, right? That's not true. Speak up call the virus by its proper name, lift up stories that are not always acknowledged, help people to see the full story, stories of bravery, uh, sacrifice, solidarity among the people in the city and the people in the nation, and even now global solidarity. I mean, <laughs> this is amazing, you know? We got to lift up those stories um, and acknowledge the humanity of every individual who struggles under the fear of this virus. Because we in Singapore, yes, we are Doscon orange, but it's still only orange. Alright? There are a lot of people out there who are suffering so much more than us. And you have to develop empathy to reject the labels that people place upon people who are literally dying. Alright? Speak up. Reject labels and see the full story. Now, shame, unfortunately... Um, is a huge part of the human experience. We, we cannot escape it. Uh, we all feel it. We are all subjected to it and it hurts. Oh my goodness, it hurts. And sometimes, because it hurts so much, we pass it on to others because we don't know better. We don't realise that we're doing it. But I want to say for you all today that you can know better and you can be better. Right? When we are ashamed rather than lashing out, we can stand our ground, stand firm, own your story, know that your value and identity comes from who God says we are more than what people say we are. And we can have the courage to do what is right. And when we see others being shamed, we can speak up, right? Reject shameful labels and embrace and acknowledge that there is so much more. To each person's story. As the people of God, we can have the courage to resist shame. Whether you are the one being shamed or whether you are trying to defend others who are being shamed, it does take courage because it pushes against the culture of this world. 